Uh, We are in uh, the second week of a three-week series on the fantastic and super interesting topic of church government, right? And uh, last week I asked how many of you were interested in that topic. Three of you raised your hands. We're going to start a small group for the three of you, just discussing that. And um, actually, church government is pretty simple. Uh, Part of what we see is in the Bible, what we have is we have these people who are called elders that, um, that are chosen uh, to lead the church. Pretty simple. And uh, Jesus kind of established it when he started, um, when he recruited the 12 disciples, invited them to follow him. And then what we see is in the book of Acts in particular, wherever Paul starts a church, he establishes elders. Uh, there's three different terms um, that the Bible uses to describe these men. And uh, one of those terms in Greek is presbyteros, from which we get the term uh, presbyterian, which basically just means elder. There's the term episkopos, which means overseer, somebody who's watching over the flock. And then there's the term shepherd. And we're really going to focus most on this term shepherd because it's the one that we understand the best. Like we understand what shepherds kind of do, even though we don't have very many shepherds in the world that we live in anymore. But what we understand is that shepherds would lead their flocks, right? We understand that shepherds would feed their flocks and we understand that shepherds would protect their flocks. And the way that we're talking about this whole thing, rather than talking about church government or elders really in particular, we're ultimately talking in this series about how Jesus is our good shepherd and how these people who are called to be shepherds are really under shepherds. They're people that are following Jesus as he leads us, as he feeds us, and as he protects us. Uh, Let's take one moment now and pray, and uh, then we'll begin, and we're going to take a look at how uh, Jesus, our great shepherd, feeds us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each of the people that are in this room this morning, each of them. Um, I thank you that you have created them in the image of your son, Jesus, and therefore, Father, they're infused with dignity and worth. In fact, uh, they're so um, worthy that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for them. And so, Father, I just ask that, um, that you would honor us with your presence here this morning. I ask that no one would be able to leave this place this morning without having had an encounter with you, the living God, um, through uh, the power of your son, Jesus, and through your Holy Spirit's presence with us. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sneakers. Shunti, Sneakers, get some nuts. Okay, we're, we're going to look at a couple more of these. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, Jesus. Supermodels. What do you model? Gloves? 
What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Fourth down, coach. What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. I want you to go on the field. Look for anything with an O. Let's kill them. With kindness. Jimmy, I want you to make balloon animals. Tyler, make little tea cozy. Something fun. Are you okay? <laughs> we will win this for Mother Russia. Coach, you just Snickers. Why is that you? You get a little loopy when you're hungry. Better. Better. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. All right. Uh, those are cute. Cute and funny enough that I thought we're going to do all three. There's a bunch more, but those are the funny ones. Anyway, so uh, part of what I like about um, those commercials, even though, frankly, what they're advertising probably isn't true. We'll get to that later. But ultimately, I love the tagline, you're not you when you're hungry. You're not you when you're hungry. You know, all of us know the effects of physical hunger, right? I mean, we know it because we have children maybe, and when they come home after a long day at school, um, some children, not that any that I know of necessarily, but I've heard stories, can be a little cranky when they're hungry when they get home from school, right? You know, some fathers, again, not any that I know of personally, but I've heard of this, when they get home in the afternoon or evening after a long day at work, some of those fathers can also be slightly cranky, right, if they're a little hungry. And uh, so we understand that. You know, that's, that's sort of the, you know, the less serious side of being hungry, but there's a more serious side to physical hunger, right? If you go without food for too long, you can become malnourished, you can become weak. There are de- diseases associated with physical hunger. And of course, in the worst case scenario, um, prolonged periods of hunger can lead to starvation and death, right? We know the effects of physical hunger. It's very, very serious. What about, what about the effects of spiritual hunger? I would argue that spiritual hunger and the effects of spiritual hunger are every bit as dire, frankly, if not more so than the effects of physical hunger, right? It's interesting. Um, Henry David Thoreau, you know, um, Walden's Pond, in his book, Walden talked about this, uh, this hunger, this emptiness. He, he said this. He said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is actually confirmed desperation, From the desperate city, you go into the desperate country and have to console yourself with the bravery of minks and muskrats, a stereotype, but unconscious despair is concealed even under what are called the games and amusements of mankind. In other words, what Walden is saying here, I'm sorry, what Thoreau is saying here, he's saying, you, you know, the emptiness within you, right? And there's different ways that these men deal with it or women deal with it. There's a different way these people deal with it. They, they may sort of resign themselves to the fact that there's this massive hole within me that I have tried and tried and tried over and over and over again to fill, and it's unfillable. And so they get to a point where, in his words, that they, they reach a point of confirmed desperation. I'm desperate. That's just the way that it is. That's the way it's always going to be, right? But in our younger days, when we're younger, we try to fill that void with whatever we can get our hands onto. You know, maybe it's the next girlfriend or the next boyfriend. You know, maybe it's the next big movie that's coming out. Maybe it's the next cool piece of clothing. Maybe it's running and training physically. You know, maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your spouse. But all of those things are, uh, are ultimately finite. And really this hunger, this spiritual hunger, is not finite. It's infinite. And it has to be filled with an infinite person, right? There's a, a comedian, um, Louis C.K., 
who uh, addresses this. By the way, I don't actually recommend much of what he does. He is funny, and he is probably um, a great commentary, uh, commentator on, on society. He, he has this following saying, um, thing he talked about when he was on Conan, and, uh, and I'm going to just read these words. Ultimately, the context is he's talking about why he doesn't let his kids have cell phones. And so if you are trying to not let your children have cell phones either, you can go watch this clip. But I'm going to read a quote from uh, what he was talking about. He says this. He says, you, in other words, you people, uh, need to build an ability to just be yourself and not be doing something. That's what the phones are taking away. It's the ability to just sit there. That's being a person. Because underneath everything in your life, there is that thing, that empty, forever empty. It's down there, right? He's talking about this, there's this infinite chasm or this infinite void, this infinite hunger within us. He goes on to say, and sometimes when things clear away, you're not watching anything, you're in your car and you start going, oh no, here it comes that I'm alone. It starts to visit on you just this sadness. Life is tremendously sad just by being in it. Again, he's talking about this infinite emptiness, right? This deep hunger. And then he starts talking about one time when he was driving down the road and he was listening to this Bruce Springsteen song and he was singing and as he began singing, he felt it coming and he continues to say this, and I go, oh oh no, oh no, I'm getting sad. I got to get the phone over here and write like hi to 50 people. Then I said, you know what? Don't just be sad. Just let the sadness stand in the way of it and let it hit you like a truck. The thing is, because we don't want that first bit of sad, we push it away with a little phone or a little relationship or a little food. You never feel completely sad or completely happy. You just feel kind of satisfied with your product and then you die. Okay. Thank you, Louis. Appreciate it. And actually, the truth is, I actually love the fact that he's saying this because what he's acknowledging is that in the same way that there's physical hunger, what he's acknowledging is that there's spiritual hunger. There's a longing for something more. There's a longing for something that can't be filled by things that are finite, right? Right. And what he calls it is, he calls it the forever empty. That's good. We ought to make t-shirts, you know, forever empty. And I might call that spiritual hunger. And then what he talks about is our attempts to satisfy that hunger with, you know, just saying hey to people, just distracting ourselves. What's interesting is that Jesus addressed this forever empty. Jesus addressed the spiritual hunger and he addressed our attempts to satisfy it as well throughout the course of his ministry. But perhaps nowhere more poignantly did he address it than in Matthew chapter four. I'm going to read the words of Matthew chapter four, verses one through four. They'll be up on the screen. Jesus, um, again, is out in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan. We'll, We'll get to the context of this in a minute. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, right? Kind of an understatement. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I'm just going to take a moment. Let's look and see what we see here. So, first of all, uh, according to Matthew's gospel, this, this passage we read here in Matthew chapter 4, by the time we find Jesus in the wilderness, he really hasn't done all that much yet, honestly, right? Uh, one of the things that he has done is Jesus has gone out into the wilderness to visit John the Baptist, right? And Jesus asks to be baptized. And what he's doing 
those of you who have read any theology, what he's doing is he's identifying himself with sinful humanity. He's linking arms with human beings, and he's basically saying, I am fully human. I am one of you, and he's baptized, right? And when Jesus is baptized, identifying with humanity, it says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and then it said that his father, God the Father, spoke, saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's not only for the crowds around to hear, but it's for Jesus to hear as well. And this is going to come in uh, very, very handy in just a few moments. Immediately following this, we're told that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness, right? Remember this story, for those of you who've read it. And while Jesus is in the wilderness, he's tempted by Satan. We're told in this passage that Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days, right? And so we know from IRA hunger strikes or Irish hunger strikes that you can go, you know, over 40 days without eating food. But when you do so, you're delusional, you're weak, you're broken, you're almost starved. And so when it says that he was hungry, it means much more than that, right? So Jesus is starving. He's probably borderline delusional. He's probably exhausted. He's probably miserable. He's probably frail and weak. And in this state of ultimate weakness, Satan comes and begins to tempt Jesus, saying, and listen to what Satan says, if you're really the son of God, right? If you're really the son of God, and what Satan is doing is he's basically tempting Jesus to doubt his identity, He's tempting Jesus to doubt his, his position with God the Father. David talked about it today when he was leading worship, you know, that we defiantly oppose this, right? And what Satan was doing, he was coming to Jesus in his weakness, and he was basically saying, if you're really the Son of God, remember what God had said to him 40 days earlier, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father knew what his Son needed to hear. But that's not all that Satan was doing. Satan was also causing Jesus or tempting Jesus to doubt God's provision. If you're really God's son, turn these stones into loaves of bread to which Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone, right? But every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that spiritual food is every bit as important as the physical food with which you're tempting me right now. And the words of God are that spiritual food. Does that make sense? It's really kind of powerful. This is going to be a very simple sermon today, but it's powerful in that. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying the spiritual food, the word of God, the, the, the pages of scripture that we have um, in our purses or in our book bags or on our iPhones, that these words of God are every bit, if not more important than the physical food that we eat. How many of you need to be reminded of this today? How many of you need to be reminded that the word of God, the pages of scripture, that that, that those, those words of God, that those are just as important as any physical food that you might eat. It, it's, the truth is what happens to us as we mature, we start reading Tim Keller, we start reading N.T. Wright, we start reading R.C. Sproul, we start reading all these good things, and very often we get further and further and further away from the actual words of our Heavenly Father. Part of what I'm going to be inviting you to do today is to feed upon the word of God, Right? So that's where we are in the midst of this narrative. Now, the question is, after this temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, what did he do next? What what happened next? Well, the next thing that Jesus did is Jesus satisfied the people's spiritual hunger by inviting them to feed upon the word of God. He, He gave them, he provided the word of God for them. Again, the temptation of Jesus takes place in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And then what's interesting is verse 14 and 15 say this. 
And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. In other words, the very first thing that Jesus does after his temptation is he begins to go and to feed the people the word of God. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, the Psalms, Daniel, Zechariah. Jesus quotes all of these books out of the Old Testament. He begins by feeding people, the people, the word of God. That's what he does. I mean, you can actually go to John. You look at Mark. You can look at the different versions. You can look at Luke. And what Jesus does after his temptation, he teaches, he teaches, he teaches. He gives the people the word of his heavenly father. He gives them the word of, of God. Um, there is a man named Dr. Long who's going to appear up on the screen in just a minute. He was one of my professors in seminary. One of my favorite professors. His kids were in my youth group. His kids were great. He's great. And uh, I remember one time in Hebrew class, he was telling us how, the students at Covenant Seminary, he was telling us how in the morning when his kids are eating breakfast, that he would, he would just read a couple Bible verses to them out of the Psalms, out of the Proverbs. And he said, the reason I read the Bible with them in the morning is I want them to understand that the physical food they are, that they are eating is, uh, is not even as important as the spiritual food of the word of God. Does that make sense? I mean, here's a guy who's absolutely brilliant. I think he studied at Oxford. Um, he's in, you know, incredibly smart. I think one time we went to Thanksgiving dinner at their house, and uh, Dr. Long talked Hebrew, but uh, I asked him, you know, how many languages do you speak? He speaks 13 different languages. Brilliant man. And every morning, this brilliant man reads his children, read his children, the word of God, right? And so basically what I would take from this, what I would take from Jesus going out and teaching the people is that it's my job as an under shepherd to the good shepherd. It's the, the elders at Seven Hills Fellowship. It's their job. It's the pastor's job, Bob's job. It's our job to give you, to feed the sheep, the word of God, right? It's not about my good ideas because I really don't have that many. Um, it's not about, um, you know, us just sort of teaching you good ways to handle your money. That's important. But ultimately our job as pastors, our job as shepherds, our job as elders of Seven Hills Fellowship is to give you God's word. There are many of you in this room that are weak. There are many of you in this room that are frail. There are many of you in this room that are miserable, right? And, and you wonder why, because you've sort of given Christianity a chance. And uh, I think one of the reasons why you might be is because you might be starved for the word of God. Um, one of my accountability partners, we've been in the same accountability group now for 23 years, is a guy named Adam Nieder. And uh, his picture is going to show up up there. Adam teaches at um, Whitworth, which is a university out in Spokane, Washington. He's a New Testament professor. And it's amazing. Uh, Adam's one of the smartest guys that I know. And, you know, very deep thinker and very complex in a you know, thousand different ways. And one time we were talking just about, you know, about people and about happiness and about distance from God and closeness to God. And Adam had this to say, and I thought it was really poignant. He said, you know, so many Christians try to live their lives without reading the Bible or praying, and they wonder why they're miserable. It would be like someone eating once every two days and wondering why they felt weak, right? So here's this brilliant guy, Hebrew, Greek, French, Latin, etc., etc. And basically what he says is one of the keys to happiness as believers, as followers of Christ, is that we would simply feed on the words of Scripture, and so my charge and my challenge to many of you this morning, whether you're a mature believer or a recent follower of Jesus, or if you're a seeker, my invitation to you is to feed upon the word of God. We'll give it to you, but you can get it yourself. Simply read God's word. Allow God's word to shape you. Allow God's word to strengthen you. Allow God's word to sustain you. Hebrews 
chapter 4, verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning thoughts and intentions of the, of the heart. In other words, it's living and active. That's what we're told. And it will do its work on you, whether you frankly understand it all that well or not. Feed on God's word. That's what Jesus did. He gave the people God's word. And the next thing that we see that Jesus, our good shepherd, does is he not only satisfied people's spiritual hunger by giving them the word of God, but he also satisfied their spiritual hunger by inviting them to feed upon the bread of heaven, to feed upon him. Look at verse 32 of John chapter 6. It says this, Jesus then said to them, this is a big crowd that followed him around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, this little passage of scripture happens immediately after Jesus had fed fed the 5,000. Basically, they're on one side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus feeds 5,000 hungry people. He then hops in a boat, goes across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The people wake up the next day. They're like, oh, crud, Jesus left. We got to find him. We need more free food. And we like the circus-like atmosphere. They rush to the other side. They get there and they find Jesus. They're following Jesus partially because of the spectacle, but partly because they were hungry physically and they wanted more. Jesus, however, in addressing them here in John chapter 6, wanted to address their deeper need. He wanted to address their spiritual hunger, right? And he proclaimed that the only thing that would satisfy them and that forever empty was himself, right? Um, I had a chance to work with a, a young man in Gainesville, Georgia, 15 years ago. And this guy's life was an, a little bit of a train wreck. Um, his uh, family was kind of a ministry family, and he had pretty much walked away from, from God, but he wanted to stay attached. Kind of a long story. And so whenever we would get together, um, he would talk about his problems, and his problems were um, usually issues that had to do with maybe alcohol or drugs. And so when he talked about how his life was going, he would sort of refer to it in terms of alcohol or drugs or, or maybe in terms of sexuality or sometimes in terms of materialism for him that had led to debt. And it was so interesting because, you know, we met for years, really four or five years. And as we met and I listened to him over and over again, he wanted to talk about drugs. He wanted to talk about alcohol. He wanted to talk about sexuality. He wanted to talk about, you know, consumerism and debt and all these things. And the whole time for five years, I sat there and I thought, you're trying to fill the infinite void within you with these finite things, and it's not working. What you need is Jesus, right? Some of you in this room this morning are absolutely in that same boat. And again, I told you this is going to be a simple sermon. Like I could give this to a group of junior high kids. Not that junior high kids are simple. I love junior high kids. But it's simple because we're trying to do the same exact thing as 43-year-olds, as 57-year-olds, as 22-year-olds. We're all doing the same thing. We're throwing anything and everything into this infinite void within us, this forever empty, and it's not working, and we're starved. Like, we're so hungry. We're so spiritually hungry. Many of you in this room today feel the forever empty that Louis C.K. talked about. You understand the life of quiet desperation that Thoreau wrote of. In other words, you're still hungry for meaning, for something to sustain you, for something to strengthen you, to fill you up to the deepest core of your being, 
Jesus, however, ultimately didn't invite you to a new religion. He didn't invite you to a high moral code. That's things, those are things that people try, right? They try to fill themselves up by being better and by being more extreme and by being more radical, right? Jesus didn't invite you to those things. He especially didn't invite you to come to another seminar on how to live your life better or, you know, seven steps to this or seven steps to that. Jesus came to invite you to invite me to feed upon him, the bread of heaven, the bread of life, the bread of God, right? Simple. The words of God in scripture and the word of God spoken into existence by Jesus, ultimately uh, the bread of life, the bread of God, we're to feed upon him. What's interesting is that this morning is a morning where we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. This is an opportunity to, to feed on Christ, right? It's an opportunity for us to be strengthened. It's an opportunity for us to be sustained. It's an opportunity for us to be filled. And it's at the invitation of God the Father through his son, Jesus, right? It means so much. But even if you don't understand everything it means, it can still strengthen you. It can still sustain you. And so in just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set you free to, uh, to take this Lord's Supper together. On the right-hand uh, side over here on the lower area, there's bread and there's wine, um, up top and on the left-hand side, there's bread and there's grape juice. And, uh, and, and the question of who is to take this meal is, uh, is really actually kind of simple. The person that's supposed to take this meal is the person who trusts in Christ alone, their good shepherd, um, for their salvation, right, alone. You're not trusting in your goodness. You're not trusting in your absence of badness. You're just trusting in Jesus. And so it's for people who trust in Jesus alone who have fallen away. It's for people who trust in Jesus alone, but who've been really sinful recently. It's for people who trust in Jesus alone, but who haven't pursued God very much recently. It's all for you, right? Because you're the prodigal sons and daughters. And Jesus says, come eat at my table. You know, if you trust in my son, Jesus, you're welcome at this table. It doesn't matter how long you've been away from me or how far you've been away from me. The only people that aren't invited to this table today are people who yet haven't come to a point of trusting in Jesus, their good shepherd, alone for their salvation. You're still sort of trying to add your stuff to it. That's not for you if that's the case. And, and again, the question is, what does this meal mean? I'm going to read a little series of phrases that I think it means. Ultimately, it's the gospel. But this meal, if you step up to this table today and you take a piece of bread and you dip it into wine or dip it into grape juice, this meal means the following things. This meal means, I love you. This meal means um, you're forgiven, past, present, future, you're forgiven. This meal means um, you're beautiful, right? Some of you long to be beautiful to someone, but you're beautiful enough to God that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. So he declares you're beautiful. This meal declares to you that you're my daughter, right? Prodigal daughters, prodigal sons, in this meal, God declares, you're my daughter. I'm so proud of you. I love you. This meal declares, you're my son. You can't do anything to not be my son. In the vernacular, this meal, for those of you who need to hear it in the vernacular, declares, we're good, right? Jesus declares, we're good. You know, we're good. And then finally, 
Some of you need to hear that this meal declares to you that God says, I'm not angry with you. I'm not angry with you. You've turned your back on me. I realize that. You have um, pursued all these other things that I created, and you tried um, to find your fulfillment in them apart from me, but I'm not angry with you because of that. Um, You've done just countless things. You've had countless thoughts that only I know, nobody else knows, but I'm not angry with you because I, I poured out the punishment that really belonged to you. I poured it out on my son, Jesus. He willingly took it for your sake because he loved you. And so the invitation to this table today is to feed upon the bread of heaven, to feed upon the bread of life, to feed upon the bread of God, and to receive all of those truths that I just read to you. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, um, was spending that time with the disciples, and uh, he gives them the Lord's Supper. We have these words recorded in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take a moment and let's pray. And then I invite you to receive the Lord's table. Father, I thank you that um, we have this tangible, physical, tactile, uh, understandable declaration uh, that for those of us who trust in your son, Jesus, that you, you love us, that we are forgiven not only from the sins that we committed um, in our past, but we're even amazingly forgiven for the sins of our present and future, Father. We thank you that in this meal, you're declaring that we are beautiful. You're declaring that we're invited to your family table because we're your daughters and we're your sons. Father, you're telling us that we're, uh, that our relationship with you is okay, that we're good, finally. You're telling us, Father, that propitiation has occurred, that your wrath, that your anger has been removed from off of us. And so, Father, I pray that in the, in the strength of the truths of Scripture and in the declarations of theology and even in the declarations of Jesus himself in the story of the prodigal son, that we would come to you today, Father, with nothing in our hands except for faith in your son, Jesus, our good shepherd. And so, Father, it's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen. Receive now the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen.